Hello, I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center. As Los Angeles' premier performing arts destination, the Music Center presents some of the world's greatest performances and provides the platform for the most innovative and creative artistic minds who set the standard for excellence. On Offstage and Unbound, I have the pleasure of speaking with many of these artistic visionaries where we delve into their processes, explore what inspires them, and discuss the state of the arts in Los Angeles and the world. Hello, and welcome to the second installment of our podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. Today we are joined by a very special guest, choreographer and artistic director, Jessica Lang. Jessica is a graduate of the Juilliard School and a former dancer with Twyla Tharp's Tharp Company. She began her prolific choreographic career in 1999, creating more than 90 works on companies worldwide. Her work has been performed by American Ballet Theater, Pacific Northwest Ballet, Birmingham Royal Ballet, the National Ballet of Japan, Joffrey Ballet, among many others. In 2011, she formed Jessica Lang Dance, a New York City-based dance company dedicated to the immersive music and movement of her work. Since the company's debut, Jessica has received international acclaim for her articulate blend of ballet and modern dance, punctuated by visually stunning design elements. She is a recipient of the prestigious Bessie Award in 2014 and a 2017 Arison Award honoree. The Music Center features Jessica Lang Dance as part of the 2016-2017 dance season of Gloria Kaufman Presents Dance at the Music Center. The company, which is making its Music Center debut, is on stage at the Music Center's Amundsen Theater from February 17 through 19th. Well, hello, Jessica. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. So we thought, you know, we'd have a little Q&A about your career and your thoughts on your work. I thought it would be fun to start out with your time at Juilliard and what brought you to that specific school and, mm-hmm. you know, what was your experience there as a dancer? Sure. Well, as a child, I actually really wanted to be an astronaut, first a pilot and then continue into aeronautics engineering, which is kind of funny because it it had nothing to do with what I'm doing now. (laughs) And I met a teacher, the right teacher at the right time in my life when I was about 14. I met Joe Lantieri, Uh who is a jazz teacher, or was primarily, that's who he is. And I met him through dance competitions. And it was he who said, you know, hey, you're really talented. You should come to New York and take my class sometime. And I did. I I don't think he knew how serious I was going to take his just slight suggestion. I pronounced to my parents at that point I wanted to move to New York and study only with him and be a dancer. And uh, my parents um, didn't say no. Part of that conversation went I'm quitting high school, (laughs) and I'm moving to New York. And my mother was like, yeah, no, you're not. But they didn't say no to the fact that I wanted to go to New York. And so they proceeded to find a way to take me to New York every day, driving the commute from Philadelphia, which was hard, but they did it um, because they knew that something had clicked inside of me. And when I got to being a senior in high school, Joe was the one who said, you know, 
you're really talented. I teach at Juilliard. You should look at Juilliard as a school because he knew that college was going to be the opportunity for me to continue my education. So it was he who took me to the workshops and suggested my parents follow through with applying, which I did. And then I got in. And I don't know, it was a, a naive confidence that I call it. I didn't realize how hard it was to get into the school. And when I got there, I realized how fortunate I was and what kind of future Joe kind of handed to me saying, you have this ballet technique. Because I, I was trained as a classical dancer as a child uh-huh. and then transitioned kind of into this movement. I had like two kinds of sides to my education, the conservatory ballet student and then the competition kid um, from a dancing school. And I think that kind of background opened the door for me to get into a a conservatory like Juilliard. And then when I got there, it was just a whole new world of art. And did you, when you were at Juilliard, start thinking about being a choreographer or was that after you left Juilliard? No, it was actually at Juilliard, but it took a while. It took a few years. The very first year, everyone, you know, you have your required classes, of course, ballet and modern, and then you have your required alternate studies, and one is composition. And so comp one, every freshman is in this class together, and I became, like, really uh, afraid of the experience of making dance because everyone in my class had gone to some sort of performing arts high school before getting into Juilliard. So composition was not a new idea to them, but it was completely foreign to me. And that kind of idea of taking your own thought and the instruction, like the kind of riddle that was given by the teacher and trying to solve it in your own creative way, um, it just frightened me into like complete frozen fear. So I I didn't like comp one at all. (laughs) And your second year, you should take comp two. They kind of identify the students who are interested in creativity. And I was not one of them. And your second year, you can choose comp two or jazz. So I naturally went to Joe. (laughs) Jazz was like, that's great. I know this. And it was somewhere in that year that I started to be like, okay, I know this. This is too comfortable for me. Mm. Maybe I should be trying something different. I, it, I reached some sort of inner thought process for myself. I was growing up, really. And simultaneously watching this elderly woman walk down the hall every Wednesday and Friday with her cane and her hat. And I, I just found her to be fascinating and come to find out that's Bessie Schoenberg and we'll the Oscars and the Emmys and the Tonys and we have in dance the Bessie. And I just kind of said, get over yourself to, to myself and, you know, get over your fear and go study with her. Maybe it's going to be different. So she was the teacher of comp too. So my third year, I approached um, Benjamin Hark Harvey and the, the advisors who help you make your schedule. And I said, I know I'm supposed to be in a different class now. I forget what your track was if you went to jazz, what your next step was. As a third year, I knew, like, as a choreographer, if you took comp two, the next, the next class was choreo comp, where you worked with composers and choreographers. There was that collaboration between new music and new dance. But I went back to the advisors and requested, could I go to Bessie's Comp 2 class, even though I'm a third year? And they allowed that to happen. So basically, my third year, I went back 
and, and took the class with the second year so I could kind of start fresh with people in the room that didn't know me to be afraid of choreography. And I allowed myself to just kind of take every thought and opportunity to not be afraid and explore my own ideas. That's great. You know, it's interesting to me, you know, your conservatory dance background. I think we both appreciate that most conservatory dance kids don't get introduced to choreography or the structures of choreography or are certainly in ballet encouraged to develop their own voice until much later mm-hmm. in the game. Right. You know, so that compounds the fear as opposed to other fields where I think that they're encouraged to find their voice earlier. So that's that's definitely incredibly interesting. So after you left Juilliard, you joined Tharp with uh, Twyla, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that was an experience. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it, it was. It was what I expected I should be. Um, that was the expectation of myself, and that's what I thought my teachers thought I should be, as a dancer. Uh-huh. This is what I was good at. This was the next step. This is who my teachers were as well. You know, Carolyn being with Paul Taylor for so many years and Christine Bacon still dancing with Martha Graham as she taught me. You know, I just assumed, oh, I'm going to be a dancer for the next 25 to 40 years. (laughs) I don't know. Like, it just didn't seem like they ever stopped. And so I, I got that dream job before I graduated Juilliard with Twyla. Well, that's incredible. And it was a touring company and it was Again, just that's what I expected to do, and I was really excited that I got the opportunity to do that. And then reality hit. I was not aware of what was required of the professional dancer. I knew how to be a student dancer really well, but the profession quickly didn't appeal to me as a person. And I I became instantly confused because I thought this was what I was supposed to do. Um, Why was I unhappy? Why did I become stage fright? Why did I, you know, what What about this situation did I not enjoy? What was missing? And it was actually the creativity of being in the studio, the making the art, performing the art, but then getting back in the studio and making the art. And the profession just, at least not with the, the company I was with, it was more of a, you know, Twilight with Naked Dance, and then we would tour it for nine months and tour all over the world. And what they don't teach you in school is, you know, how it feels to fly and coach in the middle seat around the world and be really jet lag and hungry because you don't have your food that you're used to and be very physical. And the demand of her company was hard. Well, and she's she's difficult, too. I mean, she's very right. demanding. Yeah, you had to be yeah. on. You just couldn't be tired. You just couldn't be afraid. And that made me more afraid. And so it, it became a real inner struggle that I went back to Benjamin Harkarby at Juilliard. It really took me under his wing and mentored me all along my education, but definitely at this pivotal point in my life because I, I turned to him and said, well, I didn't know this was what it was going to be. And you know, we, we worked together on, did I want to go to a different company? Did I, where did I see myself? And he said, what about choreography? And I said, I love it. I want to do that. And he said, well, what would you do? And I said, I would start a company. And he said, no, you made one good work once. That doesn't deserve a company. There are practical things in life, you know, Jessica, like eating and paying your rent. <laughs> and he was like, you can't do that. 
being nobody. Like, you've got to figure out your process first. And he was the one who said, you have classical elements to your work. You should really go towards the ballet genre and, and, and look for work with ballet companies. Right. No, I think that's that was very good of him to be so um, supportive, but constructive. Correct. And yeah. when you, I mean, when you're working with Twyla, I mean, she clearly has a very specific voice and certainly a process. Do you think that her work influenced your work? I, I think somewhere in there, yes. I like to look back now and, and see that evolution. I think that, you know, she wasn't afraid of different genres of movement and her background, her childhood background, you know, with tap and baton. And, you know, there were all these elements that she just snuck into movement everywhere. And I think I can relate to that as a, I could relate to that as a dancer. And then I can relate to that as a choreographer, but I, it's hard for me to stick to one definition of movement and be like, that is who I am. I, I, I want the ideas of movement to be bound to nowhere. And so I think that's definitely a connection. And then her being, you know, just a really strong female leader, a really strong businesswoman, I I recognize that, too, as a dancer. And paid attention. And there is some connection to us in that way. She's one of these extraordinary people that she values the work ethic and the notion that you get up every day and you push through and... The audience doesn't care if your dog died. They want to see a performance. And she expects you to be productive every single day and every minute of every single day, which is difficult, but it also pushes you to new levels. And I think that that is one of her great gifts, actually, to the dance field, that this is a tough job, and but it requires just a lot of grit and doing it over and over and over again. Absolutely. And I think I, I got that. And no matter the defeat I might feel in a moment, it's not about that moment. It's about the long run or the haul and the survival of the fittest and just get up and practice it again. Like, get better right. at it. Right. Do it. Don't shrink away. Right. And it's an iterative process. There's this myth that's sort of centered around certain choreographers, say, Balanchine, that he created it once and it was genius. And there's really a process of editing and fixing that, generally speaking, uh, no dance is perfect the first time through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's relates, that relates to all art forms. I mean, it's no different than editing an article or a movie or, like, there's a, a, a composition. It's just you're really lucky if you did it right the first time and, and something in it could be better. That's how I feel. When I was speaking with Bill Forsyth, we were talking about editors, dance editors, mm-hmm. and how powerful it can be to have somebody else come into the room with their eye and look at what you've done. Mm-hmm. And do you do that? Do you have somebody come in and... Yes, I do. I do, absolutely. And it's, it's not... I, I just... I don't create alone. Right now, Clifton Brown, who is my dancer and rehearsal director, he's also my assistant on All Outside projects. It's having a conversation in the front of the room and getting his opinion. I just hear him. And I also do this with my husband, Kanji Sagawa, who's in the Ailey company, who's also been next to me throughout the whole process. 
I, I can also trust the Valley Master to be in the room. If they're in the room and be a, and a part of the process, it's not experience that brings us to this neutral place of a, a conversation about what I did. It's just someone in the room and being a part of the experience that I can actually really trust them mm-hmm. and their thought. And maybe they offer something and I ignore right. it, but it's just a conversation. It's them feeling like, they can have a moment with me if I ask their, you know, what did you think about that? Or do you think I could do that instead? And then just a, a sounding board for me. And I need right. that. The audience knows, you know, we've known each other for quite some time when we were both involved with American Ballet Theater. And what always struck me when you were working with the dancers at ABT in the school was mm-hmm. the sense of collaboration between the dancer and you in creating yeah. the work. And that's a philosophical position, I think. There are choreographers who have it in their head, and they come in and they present it to the dancers. But it seems like there's a real conversation with you. And and do you think that that provides you with different depth in your work by having that collaborative approach? It does. It's interesting to me because, for me, my process with American Ballet Theater, with the students, with JKO School, or the make a ballet program is different than actually what I do for my company or when I just made a work on them this past year for the main company of ABT. What I noticed the young ballet student was that the process of experimenting with movement and having that kind of collaborative input doesn't exist unless it's, it's provided. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be that teacher who provided and maybe perhaps planted a seed of curiosity about their own ideas of choreography. Like, perhaps one of the students that I worked with early enough, like at 12 years old, and then they became 16 in in the studio company. And I took them through a process of them helping create the material by providing movement ideas, and then me acting more as an editor of those ideas, Uh and then putting it together. That kind of process, I showed them how to make a Uh dance. And then when I go in with a professional level of group of people, I do come more prepared. And it is more singular. They don't generate the movement uh-huh. for me. I do that, but they can help influence. And the conversation is definitely still there. And there's something for them to, to participate with. I mean, I'm always the kind of person who remembers what it's like to be a dancer. And, and I don't want to put them through something every night that isn't enjoyable. It should be challenging. Right. But I don't want them to be angry or frustrated or injured or <laughs> exhausted in a in a way that's not healthy. Right. So I like to have the conversation with the dancer, the professional dancer, for sure, to say, like, well, you're the one doing it. Help me know what is too far or too much. Right, right. Um, when you are creating works for professional dancers, do you start with some idea mm-hmm. or do you start with the music? What sort of gets you going? Yeah, the, the new piece could start in any in any place. I actually call them winks. All of a sudden, I look at the world around me and something pops out at me and says, that's a dance. Whether it's a piece of music or it is a, a sculpture, a piece of poetry, a human connection, something universal uh, that speaks to me that I think to myself, this is a dance that I need to explore. And so it, it, the starting point is always different. And then basically, if it is a piece of poetry, then I think to myself, well, what's the music? And then what's the costumes? And is there a set design? And what is the lighting? What do I see? How do I see this? 
And then I wait until I can see almost the entire, well, I, I don't want to say the whole picture, but it's kind of like the pie that all the pieces are, are identified in some way. And then I go into the studio and uh-huh. the last thing I do is move. So uh-huh. the movement okay. is the last um, exploration. With the music, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, looking at, say, Alexei Ratmansky, while he's done work with many different composers, yeah. it's clear that the Russian music speaks to him in a way that other music mm-hmm. doesn't. And is there any specific music that you think, or genre of music, or big orchestral, or small chamber that seems to be very comfortable to you or really speak to you? Um, well, of course I love the classical world. I like balance on stage. So, you know, chamber chamber work, quartet, string quartet, solo piano, solo, solo instruments, the voice. That's kind of my obsession right now because my company is a small company of mine. So I, I wouldn't do like uh-huh. big, full, full orchestra, kind of symphonic sound because I feel like I can't match the level of energy that's coming from the music with the right. with the balance on stage. So I, right, I really, right. I kind of, I think I live in that world, but I also have a very wide ranging uh, palette for different types of music. So contemporary music is, is really interesting to me, finding an unknown composer that might be right for a specific project. And I also love working with composers to create the music for us. Oh, yeah. Talk to me about the process of creating a company and choosing your dancers. Um, Well, you know, I go back to the very beginning of my end of my dance career and the beginning of what became my choreography and my choreographic career. When I had said to Benjamin Hark Harvey, I I wanted to start my own company. And he said, no, not, no, not yet. You didn't do anything yet to deserve a company. So I really, I really stuck by this advice to go to the ballet companies and try to get the commissions and work with the dancers and create my work that way. And I really enjoyed that. I still do very much. But what happened was after about 10 years of this, I started to feel really out of balance and I started to think maybe I'm not reaching my potential. I know how to make a dance that's successful in various parts of this country for different audiences. I know my fallback. I know how to succeed, but I I don't necessarily think that's good. Maybe it's time that I do something else. Would it be time to start a company? And I had that own, my own in, inner thought for that. And then what happened was I think the universe kind of did something. I heard it and responded and the Joyce Theater had received a funding initiative from the Andrew Mellon Foundation that gave six different presenting organizations funding for artists to explore the idea of creation without the pressure of producing anything. So there was no presenting portion of the award. I wasn't going to get, you know, a performance at Mm. the Joyce. It was just, here's space, here's money, and time, and what would you make if you had no pressure of a review or selling tickets? And that became the seed money that I used to create my company. But I didn't know that's what I was doing. When I took this challenge, hmm. I, I was the only one who received the award that didn't have a company of people, dancers that I worked with over and over again. So I had to pull together several dancers, and I did that with 
the summer of 2011, and um, I hired six dancers, some of whom I had worked with in the past, and a few suggestions, and we met. And I really wanted the idea of eight hours a day and run it like a real company, that we would have ballet class in the morning and then a lunch break and six hours of rehearsal. What did that feel like? And I ended up making three works, one film and two dances in six weeks. And that that was an amazing experience. But then separate to it, Ella Bass um, had seen my work uh, at a performance and came up to me and said, I really love your work. I would love to support you and present you at Jacob's Pillow, but you don't have a company. And I said, oh, listen to what I'm doing. And so I told her about the, the dancers I had gathered and the opportunity I was given. And she said, let's debut the company in, at Jacob's Pillow in 2012. And so that opportunity happened. And then with that, I knew that I needed to get an agent to help negotiate ah, everything because yes. it was just entering new waters for me, yep. whole new territory. And we sure. were lucky enough to garner the attention from Margaret Selby, who is one of the best in the business. And she signed ah, us yes. four years ago. And I think as a result, you have seen it, it's a lot of different things coming together and it works. It's good dancers. There's wonderful presenters who are taking the time to really look at our American art and are counting me and my dancers a part of that and bringing us to their audiences and communities. And I feel like now I have a balance. I still go out and get commissions from ballet companies, but I come home to a place and a space that feels like me. And it's hard, but I, I feel very rewarded and fulfilled. You have sort of a specific look in certain mm-hmm. costumes you've used. And I know the costumes are important to you, especially the white dress has been sort of a, a motif, yep. I would say, of some of your works. And, you know, when you're looking at costumes, what do you think about, you know, the dancer who's going to be in the, in a way, the white dress that covers the stage <laughs> is another dancer? Yeah, and they feel that. They have to bless it. I mean, they like go to the stage with their with their skirt and their partner, and sometimes they participate and sometimes they don't. It's really frustrating, but it it adds to a you know it just changes the space in such a um, simple way. It it it's really powerful, especially the white skirt. I think it it kind of draws out the breath of the audience collectively because it's a beautiful sight. I'm really excited to be bringing the calling specifically to the music center because it's like you said, I, I've used this, this white dress as a motif and it appears in different pieces of mine, but I'm the calling is the first work I did with the skirt. And I come back to it as it's my favorite. It, it came from a really special place for the creation. I made it on my husband and I made it in response to when Benjamin Harkarvey died. I received a letter from him oh. after he had died. I, he had written to me. I received it after he had passed and that kind of experience and what he said in the letter and how he encouraged me, it made me grab this dress that I had been working on a different project, creating a different ballet, Splendid Isolation. And I said, I, I, I have to go make a different piece mm. with this skirt and with this in mind. And we made the calling. Well, what a, yeah. <laughs> a gift to him. I mean, honestly, it's it's really a testament to his impact that you felt that you could really create something that spoke to your memories of him and, and his touch, his very broad yeah, touch in I the dance. So. 
I hope so. I mean, I'm proud of it now. Yeah. Like, I'm proud of our, our story together that, you know, it was just a student-teacher relationship. And I, I was not his favorite. I know I was not his favorite, but I, I really, <laughs> I took advantage of having one of the greatest directors at my fingertips and would, you know, request meetings and sit down with him quite often. And I think it's, you just never know who you're reaching as a teacher. And he really changed my life. Well, and, the, and teaching in the dance world is so specific because it is a tradition of memories and mm-hmm. touch and that can't be replicated just on a piece of right. paper or in a video. It is a very special relationship of how they true. imprint your it's life. True. You also partnered with an architect, uh, Stephen Hall. Steve, yes, and uh, that's really great. I mean, I've I've always felt that architecture and dance have so many similarities because they're visual, mm-hmm. but they also have yeah. movement in them. What was it like to work with him? Well, he is an amazing person. I mean, he's just so creative, and he's he's I don't want to use the word big in a bad way. He's just big, like he's just grand in his personality and his ideas and his demands. I felt like I was working with someone, the quality was so high, both in what he expected of himself and of me. And it just pushed me to a a new level of thought. The artistic collaboration was just, it was just tremendous because it, I think you see it in our dance that we created, which is called Tesseract of Time. You know, again, he became my subject. Uh, That was the wink. It was like, you're going to have this opportunity Mm. to work with Stephen Hall. And so then I immediately started to do my research questions. Well, what inspires your art? Who do you listen to? What's your favorite composer? And he was all about architectonics of music and the composers who he felt could express geometric shape and pattern in their music. So he was drawn to Mm -hmm. Morton Feldman and Zanakis. And even Arvo Part, like he was really into a variety of music, but it it was something that he could articulate so well to me. And then I used it to reference him and how he would build the building. The theory behind the piece is really about his simple idea that architecture is related to the ground in four different ways. It's under the ground, in the ground, on the ground, and over the ground. And that provided Mm. me verbal cues, and I could instinctly react to, you know, under the ground. I get it. I get what that architecture must feel like. It must be so complicated and dark. And I introduced him to David Lang's music, and he loved it. And so we used this Mm. one work called um, the Anvil Chorus for the opening. And it it sounds like somebody's building something. And then we, we go through those different, four different stages. And when we get to the to the last movement, it's the Arvo part, and it's kind of angelic and spiritual, and it it ha- it goes to the piece moves to color, and it kind of feels like a completion of something that you know we all live around mm. construction mm. and building, and it's so ugly for so long, and then all of a sudden, without realizing it, it's done, and it's beautiful, and it's part of our community, and so we kind of addressed that in this work. We're obviously very excited that you're coming to L.A. Do you want to talk about 
what you'll be performing and the sure. art of the evening? Um, well, we're so excited to come, too. This is a huge opportunity, and companies just beyond thrilled. That we open the evening with Tesseracts of Time, the collaboration with Stephen Hall. So we kind of start with a real big bang. That'll be interesting, I think, for audiences because it has elements of technology in it, and and it's just been something that audiences around the country have really appreciated. Then we go to an mm-hmm. intermission, and we come back with the calling, the white dress piece that we were talking about, and that leads us into mm-hmm. a work that I created in 2015 called Thousand Yard Stare. And this work is inspired by and dedicated to those who have been affected by war, most importantly, our veterans. For this piece, I worked mm-hmm. with Braden McDonald, the costume designer um, and fashion designer, who is LA-based. Yes. I worked with him both for Tesseract of Time and Thousand Yards There. But for Thousand Yards There, I had this idea that when I create a dance, I listen to the music over and over again, and I sketch. I sketch with whatever comes to my mind. And I wanted to work with veterans directly and have kind of like an art therapy exercise where I had them listen to the Beethoven music that I had selected, which is the late string quartet, um, Opus 132, uh, the Adagio movement. And I had them listen to the music and draw whatever came their mind. And I didn't instruct them, you know, it had to be of your, from your memory of war. It had nothing to do with that specific. It was more about who they are. And of course, that's part of a major part of who they are, but it wasn't meant to be some sort of dark experience. And we took their drawings that was on, you know, black pen on white paper, and we transferred them to textile and then made the back of the costumes, their drawings. And we've kind of basically made a, 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 our own camouflage. And it adds to the depth of the piece because, well, the dancers are reminded of it every time they see the back of someone else on the stage. But there's a real person. A real person's story is what they're trying to tell. It's just really moving and powerful. We performed it uh, on Veterans Day. We get asked to do it a lot on Veterans Day, um, but we're really excited to bring Uh, it to L.A. And then we have another intermission, and we go into my work with film again, which is just a a dance Uh for film. It's not a filmed dance. And it was in collaboration with the visual artist Shinichi Mariyama. And we play with different speeds of the body, so we capture someone moving really slow and then someone moving in real time and overlay that it's choreographed specifically uh, for the two images to meet and be in time, even though they're moving through different speeds of time. It's kind of hard to describe, but it, I think it'll be uh-huh. great in LA because of you know, the connection to film. I wanted to share that. Right. It's gotten, you know, it just connects to audiences differently. And then we move into the last work is called Ink. And it's, again, with the same visual artist, Shinichi Mariyama. This time you actually see his art, which is called Kusho, and it's oh. the art of throwing Japanese ink. And he captures it typically for print in, like, amazing high-definition stills. But I found out that he actually uses video to capture it to get to these stills. And so I asked him if we could use the projections to interact with on stage. So it was a long collaboration process between making the the projections, but also I commissioned 
the composer Jakub Chapinski to make the score, which is also made out of all liquid sounds, computerized, but it's all made oh, wow. from the sound of water. Well, we can't wait. It's okay. going to be wonderful, and I'm so thank glad you. you can come. And I can't thank you enough oh, for doing you. this and for joining our little um, Los Angeles arts community. Well, thanks again, and we'll be seeing you soon. Thank you, Rachel.